The battle of Britain is about to begin. Welcome to the Lead Pursuit Podcast. Tonight, we're going to stand around and talk about nothing at all. Actually, we're going to ramble. So I've managed to kick Brett and Chris off the podcast for a little bit. You know, Brett didn't want to come on and talk to our guest tonight because he felt he'd be outnumbered. That's right. I'm having yet another Marine on the podcast because it wasn't enough that we had two. I've got my buddy Trevor from Aces High Wargaming. He's going to talk a little bit about what he's doing, some of the war games and tournaments and things that he's playing. Trevor, it's good to have you on tonight. It is a pleasure to be here, man. Oh, you're so sarcastic. Like, damn it, I have to talk to Doug. Oh, Son of a bitch. <laughs> you know, I, I, I like the dulcet tones, you know, tones of your voice. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, people say I have a face for radio. Wait, no, that's not what I meant to say. Yes. <laughs> uh, don't we all? We're, we're exactly. We, we don't belong yeah, well, you know, in the sunlight. No, we don't. I mean, yeah, I, I'm surprised. I've been working around my family farm in Alabama. I have this thing that I think people call it a tan, where your skin gets you know, changes colors and shades. And mine's pretty much red because it's been nothing but bright white for the last couple of months as I've been locked inside a house. How's the how's the lockdown doing there, Florida? Yeah, you're freeing things up. It's just a little bit, but you know what? If you're not first, you're last. Just saying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if we're not screwing up for everybody else, then why even bother? Well, the good news is that means at least you guys have been getting out and playing some games of Blood Red Skies face to face, right? We absolutely have. We've been playing a so lot tell us, of games. Yeah, tell us a little bit about the uh, tournament scene that you guys have been running. Well, um, a few weeks back. Um, Warlord uh, Games reached out to Steven, who runs the store, uh, Da Vinci's DreamWorks 2 in Jensen Beach, Florida, shameless plug, and um, asked if we wanted to be a uh, regional tournament area selection thing. And uh, yeah, we're going to jump on this. So um, we decided to start putting uh, tournaments together, Steven being the TO. Um, and right off the bat, we got we had the first two tournaments were six players each, and the last two have been eight. Um, the first three were single 500-point lists, uh, and this last one, we decided to mix it up and go for a two-list pairing to try to give people an oh, geez. options. <laughs> yes, because there were some oh, things geez. that we saw. Yeah, um, we decided to do it that way because... Um, the problem with with just a mono build is that you can't build for everything. It's it's impossible in this game. You can't build for spam. You can't build oh, for heavy fighters. Come on, forty k players back. You can certainly build for it. My space marine army can take you any day. So come uh, on. I yeah. I know it's blood red skies is is a different animal and it, it is. And, and you are right because man, I hate the spam lists and. And some people say, hey, all my players have grown beyond the spam. And then some spam asshole shows up and all of a sudden you're right back where you were. Right. We had a spam Air Cobra list that won the third tournament. And there's no reason that an Air Cobra should 
Trown. Do they have to pick the shittiest airplanes to spam? I realize they're going to be cheap, but Jesus, it's like the spam defiant list. It's exactly. embarrassing, you know. That, that plane is an embarrassment, and any reason why they, they should ever put that on the board is uh, embarrassing. You might need a wreck marker. You, you might need to have something that, that marks other downed aircraft. So that's what you can use your defiance for. It's like, oh, that's a Special Olympics is coming out to play. Yeah, it's uh, a horrible airplane. It is, and luckily no one has played that, but it was a eight or nine air cobra list so basically the same thing as if you see like the yak spam um so we decided with the two list pairing so now you can actually build expecting to see maybe a spam list maybe see a heavy fighter list because we've been playing nothing but so all the twin engine or the the two times playing twin engines were the 262s and the, and the uh, 110s um and actually, this last tournament was a P-38 proxy, which I know some people are going to freak out. It's like, oh, my God, you can't proxy. There can be no proxies. That's bullshit. We don't play that. We paint everything. It's oh, like, wait, no, we're, we're a bunch of 40K people. We don't paint it either. <laughs> what's, what's painting? Yeah, exactly. But, uh, I've got primer. It comes in a can, my God, man. <laughs> throw some Nola oil or some Agrax on it. You, you, you yeah, exactly. Get, get it out there. Um, so, uh, so now you actually can have a chance to bring a list kind of for both in a way so you're not hamstring because if you build for heavy fighter you're gonna get trounced by anything else if you build for anything else you might not be expecting heavy fighters so it gives players a little more variety you see a little bit more um but there there have been a few things that we have noticed that are an issue that we're gonna try to play with a little bit here um problem being is the pre-game boom chits um the problem with some of these lists is that people are building to put three boom chits on you before you even start the game. Oh yeah. Oh, that yeah. is an issue. You, you could you can maximize that and it gets I don't want to say it gets stupid, uh, because I used it against <laughs> against Brett and uh, Chris when we played the Malta map, but it gets to a point where you're like, this is this I, I'm eating, you know, almost a third of a squadron's available boom chits uh, before I've even gotten on the board. And that's that's just not fun, I guess. Right, exactly, and that's the problem. Is I, it is a tournament, but at the same time, if people are traveling in, which we don't, we haven't looked that far ahead. But if people are traveling in, we don't want them to come in and be like, "Oh, great, I can sit down for an hour because you just put three boob chits on me, and I brought a four plane list." Not very fun. Like, yeah, yeah. We're, so we've talked about maybe limiting that to just one being the max, so that. Um, people are now auto-including, let's say, drop tanks. We want to try to maybe try to phase out some of these auto-includes because that's the problem with some of these lists is that you see just an auto-include list. And I hate, I loathe yeah. auto Yeah, I mean, that drove me nuts reading the debrief from the UK tournament was that there were certain things that were just there and and it was like everybody that showed up with tropical filters. I'm like, so I'm going to take a speed penalty because of one car that will give me a speed penalty? I'm like... Where's the fun in that? I, there, there's no trade-off. You know? And with things like the drop tanks, for instance, everybody's taking them and they're free. That's an issue because now you're right. taking this free thing that's bringing a boom chit, which is it's great and all, but you should have to pay for it. And now you're sucking up your equipment slot with a free thing that is preventing this boom chit. So there's, so there's issues. But that's the thing that Andy's been really great about this is that he said he will not add this in to really mess with his rule set, but he's leaving it up to the tournament organizers to make it their own, essentially. So nothing is stopping us from this. Also, recently we found out that some of the ace uh, skills 
the ones that you just have to roll like a maneuver check or a pod skill check and they go back in your hand, well, now the next one, that doesn't happen. You you play that, you don't get that until the next turn. Nice. That that helps balance a little bit of that out um, because otherwise it can get really, really stupid with some of the um, some of the hand building. Although, you know, we we played both ways uh, a couple of weeks ago. We played open deck and we played standard three card, you know, hand draw uh, for what we were doing. And it, you know, there's pros and cons to both. I still am a huge fan of open deck because it allows you to maximize the tactics of what you're doing for the aircraft. And you never sit there going, okay, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm reminded I'm playing a card-based game. I have to decide what I'm going to keep, what I'm going to discard. But then it also keeps people from playing certain theater, doctrine, and ace cards every freaking turn over and over and over again. Um, so, Right. And, and like now you're – if a pilot, take, say, takes a bunch of toughs, well, now you just keep spamming toughs. It's like, no, you shouldn't because you shouldn't be that tough. There's no reason why one plane should be shot five times with toughs. And, like, there's, there's a lot of things. It's like, okay, this is just not – this is not good. This is good as in, well, I'm going to take this and trounce people with it, but it's not good for the competitive scene because now it's, again, you're kind of hamstring, you're, you're pigeonholing hamstringing people into building these lists, the same list everywhere you go, just like you see in, just like you see in 40K. And, you know, yeah, they're out yeah. FAQs on like well, that shit. Well, you, you create a meta that is artificial. And and I don't I don't say that negatively about 40K, um, but, but it's because... Everybody is chasing the latest hotness, and in 40K, the rule set is there to build the latest hotness. So whatever most broken, newest, uh, most wanting to be sold <laughs> miniatures roll out in 40K, all of a sudden, everyone's meta shifts to beat that. And thankfully, Blood Red Skies, in my opinion, hasn't ended up that way with a few exceptions. Um, and I think most of those have very quickly been points adjusted where, where suddenly there's been a realization across the community that, okay, this isn't necessarily um, well balanced or, or, pr or perfectly balanced, I should say. Um, but then when you couple some of those bad pointings with broken cards, I don't want to say broken cards, I hate the term broken cards, with advantageous cards, um, then it exacerbates it. I mean, w you know, we talk about it uh, in the previous uh, podcast episode. In the Malta game, the Italy cards uh, for the C202, way under-costed, way under-costed. Awesome airplane, costs less than my damn hurricane. <laughs> so there's there's some interesting things you have to work through there. Yeah, and it's all – and that's the thing. Like, Warlord – and not the toot own horn, but I'm going to toot it anyway because, fuck it, why not? Warlord came to us and told us... Because we're not going to say anything nice about you, so you might as well say something nice about yourself. Exactly. They're like, hey, you know, we want to build this up, and there is no competitive scene with Blood of the Skies in the state side. I mean, barring the, you know, the Rona coming Zero. in. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Zero. So why not? Let, let's build this up, but let's do it in a way so we're not going down the, the, the catch-all of... Now I gotta put all this up in. Let's, let's make it fun. Like that's the thing about this game too. I love is that you can make it your own, really, without losing the heart of the game. So, um, and actually, we're starting to see some name bases in these tournaments, which I never freaking see. Is yeah, yeah, that's actually base. good. I'm. I, I've always been afraid that 
in the tournament scene, they're not worth the points because for so many other things that you can do for that extra 15 to 25 points, um, to, to be honest, I was like, I'd, I'd be surprised if people took them. But if they are, and if they're doing well with taking them, um, either they're playing morons uh, or they've they've cracked the nut on which ones are actually worth that extra points boost. Right, and it's a lot of times it's the lower cost of ones like Sakai. He's almost an auto-include with any zero list, which is great because he's, you know, he's a great pilot. You read his history, he's awesome. But you hate hearing about the auto-includes, but you have like guys like Pip Spriller, who's another great named ace who does a lot of work for your for your forces, um, and there's another, there's a couple other out there that are like really, really good. But then you have to think about now I'm sinking in almost 200 points into this aircraft. Is he going to make my points back? Um, whereas things like the the Wildcats, you can take four uh, aces and still build a list that is very devastating. The guy Steven, he has a Wildcat list. It's I played. It, I don't think I played it, but I've I've heard it is just devastating but you take the catch all of you only taking four airplanes so five boom chits you're gonna bounce off the board um so there so well, you know there, there too. there's there's a corollary in 40k and it became uh at least in the eighth edition the quest for command points and and you you ended up all of a sudden taking units you didn't want because you needed to fill out slots and the the running joke was how many stupid troop units do i have to take just to get get the command points I need for all my specialist units that have a defined battlefield role, and there's a there is a stratagem waiting for them to be used. But I got to get myself up enough stratagems uh, that I can burn per game through having enough command points. Um, obviously, very different in Ninth Edition. Now that that's about to roll out, but I, I, I'm always concerned about Blood Red Skies forcing us to be a large number of airplanes, or vice versa, a small number of highly skilled pilots. I'm like, hopefully. People are out there playing a, a wide variety of them, and it's still challenging. And I don't know what you guys have seen um, about either restricting some of the theater or doctrine cards or, or finding ways to to make people demonstrate they understand the game and they understand the, the mechanics of the game better than they understand how to just build the, the perfect deck that you play at deployment and absolutely dick your opponent over. Um, we have been seeing that, actually. Um, I usually run – I like to run five. That's my happy. I like to run five to six, depending on the pl- on the platform. I the four kind of scares me, unless like maybe I'm trying out P thirty eight list or two six two list because points. You're like, well, if I I'm gonna try to take something that's at three or four and try to at least get four planes on the board. Um, as far as single engine aircraft, I like five. I I like having kind of a a multi faceted like twos and threes, maybe a five in there, maybe a four. Um, I'm a huge fan of top cover. Man, twos are useful. I'll tell people twos are useful. and Especially Mother and, Hen. Mother Hen yeah, is fantastic. Yes. So so between Mother Hen and also using them as the uh, the initiator. So we've talked about it a couple times. There's a few times where people want to lead off with their high skill pilot, setting it up such they're the first one into the merge and they're the one outmaneuvering somebody and, and doing those kind of things. Or there's a little bit of utility to sometimes sending in your low-skill guy, risking an outmaneuver. If they get it, then you're really set up for the next turn where you're leading off with your high-skill advantaged uh, pilot. Um, and you're not kind of sticking them out, you know, sticking their neck out. You're only really risking a pilot-skill two guy. <laughs> yeah, it's um, so we're kind of seeing a little bit of both. Um, I would probably always stick with five because I like running five. 
Um, but we also need both. And that's kind of a cool thing about the two list pairing is that you can kind of, it gives you a little bit more. Like if you want to try out, I want to fly a spam list today, but also I want to try to have like my every go getter kind of list. Maybe my four well, or well, let's, five. Let's points. talk about that. How how does a two list setup work for the way you guys are running the tournament? Um, so what it is is you basically hot you, you both you have a two and a three. You take the the pod skill two and three, place it under a cloud, completely um, unbeknownst to your opponent. You flip it over. It's if it's a two, you play your first list. If it's a three, you play your second list. So it's not it's um it's kind of a surprise to your opponent. You know what you're going to bring. But it's also a surprise to your opponent. So if you think about it too, it's like, well, in in Ward, they didn't know what the hell they were going to. I mean, aside from radar, but you really didn't know what was out there until you got eyes eyes in the sky. Oh so, yeah. But does it does it add an element of needing to to have kind of opposite end lists rather yeah. than two two very similar? I don't want to say similar, but two middle of the road lists. It drives you to say, okay, I'm going to create a, a spammier list. I'm going to try create a, an ace heavy list. And I'm going to bet on what my opponent, based on what he brings, and shows up at the table. I'm like, hmm, I bet that my spam list could take either one of those. You know, does does it kind of? De- I don't want to say devolve, but end up doing that a little bit. I, I would say so. Um, we had one guy that brought two strong ace lists. So you're looking at that, and you're like, ah, oh, crap. Now you face this. But for the most part, everyone else kind of took a list that they were trying out. One of them was like their. This is the list that I've been running for the last couple of weeks. So I'm gonna stick with this list because I know how it works. I know how it flies. I want to try this list out as well. Um, and I didn't really. I don't think there was really any spam lists in the last tournament. I think there was a couple. There was a couple heavy fighter lists. Um, again, one was a P38 proxy, um, which I'm so sure people are still pulling their hair out. The fact that I said P38 proxy, and they're like, "Oh my god." Um, there are butt hurt players right now listening to this podcast. So just, oh, just so, so you know that. <laughs> I hope so because oh, I'm sorry, some of them weren't painted. So if they weren't painted, go fuck yourself, guys. Sorry, my players. They may not paint all their planes, but they'll damn sure I'll fly pretty much anybody in that ready room. And I stand. Can I record that and play that again for Chris? Because because Chris is not going to want to hear that. <laughs> He's going to remind me that my horribly painted airplanes, other than the ones that that you commissioned painted for me. Um, then, uh, he, he shames me on those. Although, uh, it was pretty funny when, when your hurricanes and my Spitfire fives, uh, which were really just modified Spitfire twos, but my Spitfire fives were on the table together and they're like, wow, yeah. What paints did he use? Cause they look so much better. I'm like, it's actually the same paints. He just actually finished his. <laughs> <laughs> they were done with love. Extra, yeah, extra, exactly. Love. <laughs> finished with love. <laughs> but, um, I've, uh, I've actually haven't really got a chance to play in the tournaments. I've always kind of show up and just kind of watch because I usually have to work because you know work, um, having career. Responsibilities oh, that's that's on the stupid weekend. thing. A career that actually pays for you to buy airplanes. That's, that's exactly. It's, I hate it. But I, you know, I go there and I'll talk to all the players. And I've played most of the players and I'll talk to Steven. He'll kind of give me a rundown of what's going on and we'll just chat back and forth and kind of like you know spitball things like, hey, let's try this. I think you mentioned having a theater card for every table. I'm like, well, why don't we do that? So now you kind of now. They're not the that theater card aspect is taken out of their hands, and now they have to adapt to this new theater card. Or say, well, this tournament we're going to run all Pacific theater cards, all European oh, yeah. theater that's, cards. That's kind of cool. I hadn't thought of that. That's you know, I I only have the frame of reference of what I've played competitively, and in in the Heresy world, it's always been narrative competitive. So playing Zone Mortalis, we showed up with two lists, and you looked at the board, and you're like. 
oh crap, this is a jumpy board. I, I need fast, you know, scout bikes. I need jump Marines. I need something I can get across the board. Or then you look at the board, you're like, oh crap, this is a lot of small rooms. Uh, I need my heavy list. And so that was always cool that I couldn't, I, I couldn't, you know, really beat up on my opponent with a perfectly tied together list because I had to be able to compensate for what the terrain was. That was, to me, a, a level beyond what you saw normally in 40K ITC and things where you're like, okay, is it a blocking terrain? Is it a ruins terrain? Is it an open field? Which which drove you, drove you to very kind of genericized lists that were mostly to kill the new hotness or whatever army was out there. Um, but I think with Blood Red Skies, I want to see people react to to what the theater is. I, yeah, I think so too, because that's really going to make make or break a player. And um, especially when you start throwing out on other little things, like now you don't automatically regain your ace trait. You have to get next turn. So now you're out, you know, out of Mother Hen or out of Tough. And you have to tactically use these cards. Like, well, do I want to use this card now? I don't want to use a card later. Now I have to deal with this theater card. Well, this is the theater card that I want. It doesn't really work with me. It's like, well, sometimes it doesn't happen that way, guys. You kind of have to be, you know, Semper Gumby as we. You know, you and I probably would have said a thousand times. <laughs> too many, too many times. That was my excuse for not planning ahead. I'm like, yeah, fuck it, Semper Gumby, we're good. <laughs> yeah, <and laughs> which he, means Doug didn't do any of his homework, and he just decided to wing it. Yeah, and then I'd be the guy going, God fucking damn it, God damn fucking officers. Exactly, like fucking forward air controllers. I hate facts. They're a bunch of assholes. <laughs> Why didn't he load his own fucking radios? God damn it. <laughs> oh shit! Goddamn sunspots and solar flares screwing up the crypto. Yeah, so so we have to actually. Share for the rest of the podcast community the fact that that we have a shared misery in the background <laughs> of of dealing with marine marine aviation as the observers and terminal attack controllers in the Marine Corps, and what a both wonderful and shitty job that is. <laughs> it is yes, it is very very rewarding and very very unrewarding. Like. Oh, this was cool. We get to drop bombs, but all this shit leading up to it. I've driven, I've drawn more terrain sketches than I fucking never want to in my entire goddamn life. Yeah, exactly. I will never take an MRE box again and draw on the side of it. Thank you. Thank you for it, Sol Oklahoma. Yeah, exactly. And uh, all the memes and jokes that have come out from people that have drawn their own terrain sketches about whatever it is. And you laugh, you're like, oh, God, I never need to see another terrain sketch ever again. Thanks, devil dogs. (laughs) Stop that. But, you know, I always think to the the moments of of extreme highs, you're like, yes, I'm about to run this attack. This is going to be a great series. We're going to make this all happen to the extreme lows five minutes later when it's crypto rollover time and you watch your radio operator zeroize your radios and you're like, Oh, we're so screwed. We're not talking to anyone for like the next hour and a half. <laughs> one of my biggest ones was we have F-16s checking on station. One of my favorite movies growing up was Iron Eagle. Come at me, Doug Masterson. I will. I mean, Chappie and Doug Masterson. Let's go. So they they checked on station. We had a couple Vipers check on. I'm like, oh, sweet, yes. Kind of a lower ceiling, you know, cloud ceiling. I'm like, you guys can elevate it down. No, no, we, we, we can't do that. We can't see you. Um, yeah, we, we can't do this, guys. We're sorry. We, we got to go back to the country club. It's just like fucking Air Force. Exactly. Got to go back and golf and eat at the uh, at the club there and uh, drink some beers and go, we would have been awesome today, but but we didn't fly. <laughs> it's like, where's the A-10s calling them, you know, coming in, map of the earth. Like, hey, guys, you got to fight? You want to fight? Yeah, we got to fight. We want to fight. It's like, you're like a dog with, looking for a bone. Yep. Yep. I, I always laughed with guys trying to explain to them 
the the times you thought you'd get a really cool panel check out of an airplane. And for people who don't know what a panel check is, that's when they fly, quote, really low so you can make sure that all their panels are there and are okay. In other words, they're showing off. Not that we ever showed off in aviation. Nope, nope. We're what? professionals. Why would you do that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you have to but, buzz the tower. Yeah. Oh, come on. Stop that. But uh, But I remember sitting there out in the California desert as we had a B-1 working some targets over for us and doing some work. And I call him up as the forward air controller and I, I ask, uh, you know, Bone 2-1, understand you're ready for a panel check. Affirmative. And I'm like, oh, he sounds like he's excited. This is going to be good. Because if if people don't know how a B-1 looks at low altitude and high speed, it's amazing. And if you've never seen one at an air show, go out on YouTube and watch the videos because it pretty much sets off every car alarm within like 10 miles because it's basically two F-15s strapped under each, or an F-15 strapped under each wing um, as this bomber goes darkening the sky and, and skimming by. So he gets set up for his low altitude pass. He says, 30 seconds out, get everybody up on the hill. We're all excited. And here comes a B-1 at about 3,000 feet. I'm like, wow, that's not even an air show pass. <laughs> Worst so. air show ever. Exactly. So everyone looked at me like, hey, sir, what's up? I'm like, oh, never mind. I'm just, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> so, yeah, some some days aviation is awesome. Some days aviation just sucks. <laughs> to, to share another story, because we're, of course, we have to share stories. I was up in Pensacola. They're like, well, we're going to be doing an AC-130 shoot with you guys with just this first platoon. We're like, oh, my God. We're, I mean, all our, we're, we're ready to go. So we uh, get to go walk the flight line and walk inside an AC-130 and see all the cool shit that's inside of it. And I was like, oh my god, I cannot wait for this. We go out to the range at night because, you know, you and I both know AC-130s pretty much only operate at night because they're low altitude and they're big, fat fucking targets. They're so, not fat. They're just, they're, they're... The horizontally challenged. Girth challenged. Yeah, horizontally challenged. Exactly. <laughs> and the Rangers were out there as well, working their tag keys and working their AC-130. Um, Army soldiers. <laughs> I'm like, you guys just suck. So it's kind of raining, kind of shitty. We're like, oh, okay, we're going to be good. We're going to be good to go. We're getting ready to go to the range. The other call, yeah, AC-130 is no go tonight, guys. We're having maintenance issues. I'm like, just... The level, I mean, there wasn't really much motivation to begin with, but whatever was left was gone. And they're like, oh, well, you get to jump tomorrow in a full, you know, 25 knot wind. Yeah, have fun with that. I'm not going to break my ankle tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. Like, awesome. This sounds like a great way to end my career. No thanks. And we get to watch the AC-130 that the Rangers were controlling from a distance. It was, it was disappointing. It was just my heart sunk. And I knew then I'm not realistic. This, you guys broke me. Yeah, exactly. I had this really cool job where I got to see cool stuff, and I get to see, to see none of it now. Well, I, I, I always laugh thinking about the things that we did on the range in California and how cool it was at a weapons school out there to be able to do that level of close air support and to see aviation uh, firepower up that close. And then realize as I looked at all the guys, I'm like, yeah, you're going to go back to uh, to all the Florida ranges and it isn't this cool. <laughs> They're dropping uh, concrete bombs. It's it's not all this cool stuff that we're dropping out here. So size of a football field, it's pretty it's it's very it's very much a letdown. It's more so to see the, the the multinationals come in. That's like the coolest part about it. It's not uh, I see an F-18 for the thousand time drop a concrete bomb. I mean, doing the gun runs are kind of cool sometimes, almost never. 
Um, Sometimes, yeah, not, not as cool as a lot of other stuff. Usually going out drinking that that, that night at the the Blue Lagoon Saloon, where many of beers were had with with Warren Officer. Uh, I thought I thought Anglico went to the Blue Oyster Club. I thought that's where you guys usually were. Well, that's that's after that's after the Marine Corps Ball. <laughs> I had to just get my Anglico digs in because it's not that that's I hate fun. Anglico. I'm not jealous. Nothing like that. No, 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 no. no. You know, you know, drop bombs, make moms. That's that was our. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was just a slow and ponderous conventional guy stuck in a in a battalion landing team with a bunch of other grunts that were out there trying to stab people with a bayonet, you know. And there I was the lone aviator going, What are you people doing? <laughs> I don't even talk like you. <laughs> You're like, you know, uh gorillas in the mist, like Jane Goodall. Like Yeah. There there are times that I felt that way and, and my grunt buddies that I that I'm still good friends with that we talk about to this day, one of the, the funniest things is as a forward air controller, they would look at me sometimes in planning and they go, I have no idea what the aviators just said. I'm like, don't worry about it. It really doesn't matter. <laughs> no one's listening to them anyway. They're just talking to be heard. Uh, so it's, yeah, trying to translate things in the Marine Corps between the air and the ground side. Sometimes sometimes get lost. And a lot of times it's a message that doesn't always need to be transmitted anyway. But but thankfully, you know, at least in airstrike, we've got uh, the ability to do some of these uh, interdiction missions. I'm glad nobody added CAS in there because you'd have to you know, create a random card for stupidity. <laughs> Higher right. headquarters not paying attention. Like, what's your nine line? What, what, no, you you have to you have to remember the ditty that goes to the nine line. Even though I can't remember. remember. I'm not going to share it here. I've, <laughs> I've, I've I've talked about that many a time, but it's it's welded into my brain. <laughs> you just try to drink and, it. Out and poor memory. Lieutenant Colonel Drizga, who will forever be memorialized in my mind in that ditty for how to remember how to write a nine line. <laughs> oh, I don't I don't miss those at all. And no. I, I actually haven't yet to, I have yet to play Airstrike. Um, I really want to. I'm like, well, I studied CAS and I studied CAD, right? So let's let's see if I can make this work. Well, you I, know, if you hadn't chosen to actually work that weekend, you could have come up and joined Brett and Chris and I and watched them nearly table me in the Malta game. I mean, it was it was downright embarrassing that I was uh, playing that horribly. It was a fun game, but. Uh, I mean, gosh, losing the, the Spitfires a couple turns in, them getting boom shitted out, and then having no airplanes on the board for, I think, three turns as I slowly waited for the SM-79s to march down their high cover and pitch in and try to torpedo the uh, the destroyer that was out there. But uh, then, of course, your hurricane showed up, uh, managed to at least down one of the SM-79s, and then idiot boy myself left one of them disadvantaged next to the destroyer who proceeded to shoot it because it was the closest disadvantaged airplane so nice work doug uh you suck <laughs> well I mean, but airstrike's fun it, it, it looks fun i mean hell if you watch my last uh i only had two videos up on my on my channel but the second one my thunderbolts cannot make a roll to save their life and i was like you guys are my favorite aircraft of all time my favorite squadron of all time painted that way you have all failed me. You will all be melted. And then the, the game I didn't record after that, I played my 109Gs and proceeded to beat my opponent into the ground. It's like, what happened? Yeah, it's, it's never do? the planes that you really want to do well, you know, that, that end up serving you best, which is funny. So it's, it's kind of like showing up with that wonderfully painted, perfectly crafted 40K army where you're like, yes, I know exactly how to beat these guys. And the dude tables you with iron hands. You're like, oh, awesome. Yeah, you bought your codex, what, last week? Great. You know? <laughs> and yeah. then the, the following week, he's nerfed by the FAQ. And all of a sudden, you're like, yes, victory. Dude, dude. <laughs> well, I had the, the luxury of playing a Ford, an entire 
China Forge, sorry, uh, army of the Death Corps. We won't hold that against you. <laughs> I, I, it's it's a financial thing. I'm not going to spend money on on Death Corps of Creed from Forge World Prices. Sorry, England. No keep, one is anymore. No, absolutely yeah, and, not. You and I thought that as a, as a warning to Warlord that Warlord, you've got to watch the price on your resin, um, just because there comes a point of no return. Now, thankfully, at least in Blood Red Skies. You're pretty much buying five, six airplane blocks unless you're running a spam list. So people aren't building this 2,000-point army of you know multiple units, a lot of different you know bits and pieces to add on. Um, but Warlords still, I think, needs to be careful because they could end up pricing themselves out where people can only play – they can only afford to play one army um, because this isn't a game where we want to spend thousands of dollars on our finely crafted airplanes. Uh, so so if, you, if the resin gets too expensive – you don't have the ability to try stuff out, kind of like we have been with the the hard plastic and some of the other uh, things that were introduced at the beginning. Yeah, I mean that's the thing about this game. Like that's that's kind of the selling point that I tell people that like I don't know how I sold this game to you know ten other people, but I was able to. Was that thirty thirty five dollars and you're in? I mean that's it. I mean the the rules are free online now. If you get the airstrike book, that's thirty dollars. You buy a squadron box, that's another $35, $40, whatever you pop, you know, and you're in the game. Like a super low barrier of entry. And let's try to keep it that way because I think that's what scares a lot of people away. And there's so much that you can do with this game. There's so many different aircraft. And I mean, luckily, like AIM, for instance, exists. I mean, granted, it's one guy in his basement whipping himself trying to get all <laughs> exactly. this stuff out. But I mean, I feel sorry for him trying to generate all those models. I, I do too. I'm like, dude, buddy, you deserve like a humanitarian award or something for what yeah, you're doing. Exactly. And I mean, he's everything is great. Like his latest run of the HE-111s that he gave to me, they weren't perfect by any stretch. I mean, he even admitted to it. He's like, these these molds are getting iffy, but I'm like, I don't care. I want them to play this game. Um, and that's the kind of beauty thing about like historical games is that you don't you just need the rule set so much. It's not Warlord isn't going to send in you know. Warlord Team 6 to come in and say, you better be playing Warlord exclusive miniatures for our game like GW tends to do uh, right. in, in their main stores. I mean, with our store, it's just like I, I, I play, I have the P38s from AIM and I have my HE-111s from AIM and no one's saying a thing to me. They're just like, where'd you get those from? And we want them in our, in our position. Give them to me now. Well, you know, the, the great thing is with Warlord not making every single model in the line of every airplane there's a lot of flexibility because when we go out to twisted lords here at the end of the month and we play midway scenarios we are not playing them with warlord miniatures because guess what those aren't out yet and we don't necessarily even have enough proofs that we could <laughs> we could play a good game with them so guess what we're playing with trumpeter who cares we got spds we got you know devastators we've got you know all the aircraft we need, and sure, some of it, most of the Japanese stuff is Warlord because we've got Kates, we've got Zeros, uh, we've got Vals from from other uh, other manufacturers. But the fact is, nobody really gets bent about it, and and I kind of like that community because I remember coming back into the 40k community, and literally a dude that I was playing at his house looked and asked and said, "Hey, are one third of those miniatures uh, GW bits?" I'm like. Fuck no, they're custom Imperial Guard, man. Yeah, exactly. Like, hey guys, you, you 
the spirit of the oh, game. Oh, geez. And see, see, there goes the whole show. Because guess what? <laughs> the Rangers showed up. You oh. you missed us MFing the Rangers and saying terrible things about the Rangers. Oh, man, that's a first. Now really you show up. <laughs> Are you wearing the Ranger panties? Because I Always? Is it, there's... Oh, that just made my night. It, <laughs> yeah, you know, we're, we're down there. We're trying to play Blood Red Skies, and here he shows up in a pair of black silkies and, you know, a tank top. And we're like, whoa, 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 that's not what we're here for. <laughs> this is not a Ranger reunion. Brett, how you doing tonight, I'm brother? doing good. I was managing to uh, to stay COVID-free down there in the uh, land of the burgeoning COVID outbreak. Yeah, everybody's losing their minds about school starts and all that, so we don't know what's going on. Yeah, hey, well, that's you know, you just get you get used to it. I mean, we went through the we went through boot camp and all got sick. Get out of your system. You're good. Yeah, exactly. I mean, are, are all... Brett, like every, every year, I mean, we think a hurricane's going to wipe Florida off the map. It's like we stare death in the face every year. And what do we do? We drink it heavily. We make a lot of memes and we insult the hurricane away. That's right. Just saying. Well, what I learned is you just take a couple of 800 milligram Motrin, change your socks, drink water, and you're immune to anything. So. Yeah, that actually works for like a gas attack, too. It's weird, a nerve agent. I just got to take Motrin and change my socks. That's I'm right. good. Thanks, Doc. You're the best. Yeah. I mean, hell, you could call this uh, you call this episode Two Marines and a Ranger Walking to a Bar. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, have that, we have that often enough and it's dangerous. You know, I, I'm actually glad that there aren't enough slots on here that Chris could be on because then Brett probably would cry and complain that he's outnumbered again. But like having one Marine and one Ranger, he was already outnumbered. So I don't, I don't know why he was concerned when it went to two or three. But that's all right. Way too many Marines. Brett, exactly. I know we just talked recently because uh, we got an episode about to hit. But uh, what else is going on for you, modeling-wise? Oh, man. Uh, well, you know, Gavin started some Spitfires, right? So we prime, we got them all cleaned up yesterday, got all the mold lines off yesterday. Today we put some primer on them. So we're just doing it in little bits, you know. He probably doesn't have more than, like, <laughs> certainly not more than an hour's attention span when it comes to hobbying yet. So you're just kind of easing into it. Can I hire him as a commission painter? Because the previous guy I had was a total shit show. Oh, I mean, hey, sorry, Trevor. I mean, the previous guy was great. He was he was awesome. <laughs> I mean, funny. you're welcome for, you know, the Hurricanes were the only ones that got it down plane. I'm just saying. They did. It, so, it wasn't so, your rolling. It was my planes. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> it was. It was the finely crafted paint job, which actually did look amazing on those. I. It's one of those moments where I hate as a substandard painter when I actually hire a commission painting because I look, I go, fuck, my stuff looks twice as bad now. <laughs> if it was just my crappy paint job, it wouldn't be bad, but now somebody else's good paint job is there right next to it. So, yeah, it's all right. Whatever. They did look good when we were playing on the table uh, just a couple weeks ago. They looked really good. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. I I, I love painting them because that the plastic, I geeking out about plastic, which is really weird, uh, it was it was just beautiful to paint. I loved it. The scheme was fun. I never painted you know North Africa ones before, so I might be doing that with my P forties. Haven't decided yet. Um, even Chris reached out to me and asked me like, what what paints did you use? I was like, Middlestone and Dark Earth. That's yeah. I, I laughed about that because he didn't believe me. He he seriously did not believe me as we're standing there. I'm like, no, dude, it's the exact same Vallejo paints that I used on mine. It's just. Mine are still glossy. Mine haven't had decals. No wash on them. <laughs> yeah, I think I just messaged you today because, uh, you know, getting my paints out for Gavin Spitfire. So I was like, hey, didn't you say you used some kind of different paint? Because I remember the one the one hurricane I did for John's, um, oh gosh, Johnny Red Squadron or whatever. I, I think I, I thought I used started with Vallejo and it's just the, the contrast wasn't very good. So I 
switched to something else. Like I think I put together some Citadel paints that look good next to each other. I, I don't remember. It's been a little while, but uh, no, it was only the one aircraft. So, on, how, yeah. How, how dare you say Citadel on a professional yeah. wargaming, <laughs> historically accurate podcast about historically accurate airplanes? How dare you? Yeah, lose Brad? all lose all credibility, <laughs> I guess. You uh, have to paint the exact same colors from that exact plane from that exact year. Make sure every <laughs> rivet is painted. Right. You, ha- you, you have to. It, you know, else else it loses all credibility in the game. I'm sorry. That's well, just how it is. Apparently, Doug messaged me back and said the Vallejo paints worked out pretty good. And you said that's what you use for those that uh, he brought up. So I'm a believer. Yeah. So so we've used them on the desert scheme. We used it on the Battle of Britain scheme. The only takeaway I had was that. I was not using Flory Wash at the time, and I was using Army Painter Strong Tone because I really, really wanted on the light undersides to have darker panel lines. Uh, and I was just surprised how much the Army Painter uh, Tone really, really super darkened the underside colors, whether it was uh, the Sky Type S, Duck Egg Blue, uh, any one of those, to where I had to do a significant amount of touch-up um, or else it just it, it didn't have the right tone. But on the top part of the airplane... The Vallejo paints worked great, and I did mine as airbrushed followed by um, followed by brush touch-up. So it, it, they were pretty quick and easy to paint. Uh, it was just touch-ups from the panel lines. I think I have the Southeast Asia RAF kit, and it has all the colors even for the Battle of Britain stuff. I, I think that's kind of the, the trick with the RAF kits from Vallejo. They... Um, if you get the Southeast Asia one, I think it has all the colors, and you don't have to buy extra paints. Well, does it actually have Middlestone? That was Middlestone is like only in two sets, and the third set you think it's in is like I think it's either in the Army Air Forces one or one of them, and it's actually a slightly different. Oh, color. you're right. I don't think and it's like, in this one. I think you know I was looking for the dark earth and the dark green, and that's in there. But yeah, middle whatever yeah. the one you so, mentioned. So I, I think Trevor about. probably also hates me because he had to go out and buy Vallejo paints at an, at an expanded price because I had to get Middlestone by itself, uh, Azure Blue by itself, and Mediterranean Blue. Those ones I couldn't find in a kit. Is that all for Luckily Mediterranean for that- theater? Those colors? I don't yeah, know Middlestone. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, they're Mediterranean, and they're not in the Mediterranean kit. Only Middlestone was in the Mediterranean ah, kit. Ah, okay. Yeah, Middlestone was actually very useful for me, considering that I had that um, Dust 47 commission, and my friend wanted Africa Corps. So Middlestone is what I use for, my Alpha, for, for the Africa Corps, so it, it helped it right out. And... Like I said, I plan on you know doing some uh, North Africa P40s probably, um, so that'll fit right in. And as far as Dark Earth, I mean, I might I'm gonna have to repaint my Spitfires from the starter box because I used uh, Warren Fane Brown and uh, uh, Death World Green or something like that from Citadel because I didn't have any any uh, Vallejo paints. I would match it. It looks okay, but I'm gonna go ahead and strip them down and, and just repaint them with the Dark Earth and then. Um, getting the that REF green, uh, that darker, uh, the dark green or dark forest green or what, whatever the hell it's called. I, I mixed my own sky yeah. blue on my palette for that one uh, hurricane I did, but uh, these I'm doing for Gavin, uh, or with Gavin, I should say, because I'm going to make him do a bunch of the work too. Uh, I don't, I, I think I'm, it's white on the bottom, white and black. So I just need basically the uh, dark earth, dark green, white and black, and I'm done. Yeah, that, that makes it easy, and then just do the detail work and, and spinner work, and it's not too hard at all. Um, you're not you're not spinning forever trying to panel line stuff. I, I was almost wondering if those starter kit Spitfires. I mean, I, I presume that they're the same plastic and everything is in the starter kit. They're 
you know, they're brown plastic Spitfires, a little bit bendy wings, but not terribly so. I mean, anybody that complains about those wings being too bendy, just put it in some hot water and straighten it out with some cold water. It's super easy. But anyway, uh, I, I was almost, when I took them out of the box, I was almost surprised. I was thinking, are these hard plastic? These don't seem as soft and bendy as I kind of remember the starter kit plastics being, but uh, I presume they're the same. They're pretty nice. Yeah, I, th- I think it's the same. I was surprised the box I got was uh, was still about, I'd say, a third with messed up wings. But I think part of that also is the way they sit in the clips in the starter box. And so when they heat up, you know, just being shipped around, you know, in those in those clips that hold the wings in place, sometimes that causes it to do weird things. Yeah, they were no big so. deal. Cleaned up real easy, straightened out easy, no problem. But uh, I, it's been a little while since I've done any of the aircraft that are made of that plastic. And I, and I remember them being a lot softer and more flexible than I think they really are. I think in my mind, I think they're worse than they are. They're not that bad. No, you just like you said, you just heat them up a little bit. Even like some of them you might get away with not even really doing a whole lot of touch up. And I've seen a lot of people just not even bother. Just like, you know what? Screw it. It's a starter box. I mean, it's a great deal for a starter box. So I'm not even going to complain about the aircraft. Oh yeah. Um, I've had more had to do more touch up work on the resin because it's resin, and I've actually melted the rear stabilizers on a one one hundred nine because I was trying to heat it up enough with my heat gun, like far away, and end up melting the, the the tail on it. I was like, shit. The but only one of my buddies had an extra one. <laughs> the only thing I notice about the starter box plastic models is uh, I feel like the empennage is a little fat. The uh, the uh, stabilizers and stuff are. Like those pieces are a little thick. It maybe listen to you, the Embry Riddle Gray empanage. Wow, wow. I think the I man doesn't even have up. wings. Yeah, I, I think I don't think they call it that. I went to flight school, man. We don't call it the empanage. Yeah. Call it the tail. All right, yeah, yeah. The tail. Okay, the tail surfaces are a little fat in the uh, in the starter box plat compared to I think the hard plastics maybe, but I mean not noticeably so. Not any, I mean hell, I've got all the one oh nines and I love them. So whatever. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, 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 I like the starter box. Yeah. Well, you know, the funny thing is those hard plastic, uh, the mosquitoes and the, um, and the hurricanes, they just, they're so easy to work with, so easy to clean up and so easy to get painted. Uh, I kind of, there's times that I wish the rest of the line was that way. And I know it's just too darn expensive and, and resin makes sense, but there's just a point where I, I liked how easy it was to work with those plastics. Oh, they're sweet. Yeah. Any one of them I've done, has been a beauty. Yeah, Trevor, do you, do you, uh, collect, a particular faction I, I seem to recall you had p40s and p51s is that right uh i don't have actually i don't have either of those uh my p40s are sitting at my shop patiently waiting for me to purchase them um i have germany I, i've got the 262s 190es and g's i've got the 190 uh, a and d's and he111s because uh, we need a german player and i've always kind of had an affinity playing uh, German aircraft for a uh, for Polish guy to say, I like German aircraft. It's kind of weird. Um, I, I was going to kind of bust you on that, but you, you said I, it yourself. <laughs> I, I, I married a German woman. Collaborator. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, I also have RAF planes um, because when I was a kid, I loved Spitfires. So I, the movie Battle of Britain was like, oh, my God, this movie is so freaking cool. Uh, so I have the, the, the Spitfires in the box. I got the Mark 9s as a accident. Uh, Warlord sent my store more planes than we ordered and if i walked in one day and the shop guy steven's like here here's some spitfires I'm like cool uh so i'll probably get you know the mozzies and i do want to get some hurricanes because i want to do like the the uh 
the French and the the Czechs and like the the, the Aces in Exile sort of stuff. Do you do you um, notice a big when when you play 109s? I, I I'm curious about your feeling on this because I've only ever played E models and and now F models, and I really enjoy the difference between the you know, the upgrade from the E's to the F's. I don't mean in model stuff. I just mean actually in gameplay that you know the great dive and dive away stuff starts to matter a whole lot more even though it's just that one more inch and uh, i don't recall exactly what the stats are in a g i don't have any and i haven't played any of those but have you do you what are your thoughts on the difference the g is a is a great plane i love playing that um i played the one both 190s and both 109s and by far my my favorite has been the 109 g it's a great uh, it's a great game piece it's got good stats i think it's a two two eight i really want to say it's two two eight wow Nice. Don't quote me on that. So, and it's only like, I think it's like 38, 39 points, 37 points maybe. So you can actually feel, like me and Doug were talking earlier, you can actually feel kind of a mixture. I filled six, six at one time. I think it was all threes and the two or something like that. So just to kind of see like, I want to see how many I can fit on the board without spamming, you know, pilot skill level twos. But it gives you a little, a little bit of room to play with, bringing in a name base, bringing in an ace itself. Um, I, I played it against some uh, P47s and I ended up doing pretty well with them. I actually really liked that plane. It was a lot of fun to play. It's a good aircraft. Uh, I know Great Dive, some people might poo-poo a little bit, but I see the useful of Great Dive and Great Climb is awesome considering how most of our games, you know, you end up being on top of one another. It's great. I like Nothing, it. You know, pun intended. Do you feel like a cheater when you play Spitfires? The tight turn is kind of, uh, (laughs) it's so brutal, especially the Mark 9's tight turn. I think it also has great dive, I would say. Uh, That plane is awesome. It has all the traits. Mark 9's are so, (laughs) it's so good. It's just so good. (laughs) I I shouldn't be saying, you know, British things are good because, you know, British. About every every time we get together, I end up mentioning something about campaign play. And I'm going to do it again just to say that it's uh, a newfound appreciation I have for the evolution of the aircraft as I'm playing, you know, because as the game progresses, we're, you know, upgrading to newer models or whatever. And I'm like, oh, man, I've only ever played E's before. Man, what a difference when you jump up to F's. Like, you know, it'd be neat to see, you know, getting to G's and 190's and, you know, feeling all those differences because I haven't yet started playing those. To kind of pimp a book, uh, A Higher Call, I know me and uh, Chris have talked about it. It's about uh, Franz Stiegler and Charlie Brown, but really more about Franz Stiegler, the, the German ace. And it starts with him in North Africa flying 109Es, I want to say, or Fs, under Hans Joachim Marseille, which is pretty freaking cool that you got to you know, fly with him. Um, and then it progresses through him flying Fs and Gs and Ks. And then he flies 262s. And it was like, holy crap, this guy like flew all these different platforms throughout the war and different fronts. Like That's pretty cool when you think about it. It's like... so when you're talking about campaigns and you can progress through all these other planes as your squadron's getting the new, the latest and greatest airplanes. That's pretty, that's pretty cool, man. That's funny. You mentioned a book. I was, uh, I'm reading it in just little drips and drabs. I'm reading uh, German aces speak and I've just started. I I have the book on my, on my bookshelf. Yeah. Yeah. So I I was just reading at the beginning of another section and uh, the guy was talking about, and I can't forgive me. I can't remember the aces name. I just started it today. 
and uh, he was talking about the G model, and he was saying, you know, how much better it was in terms of uh, visibility. The cockpit was so much more improved. The canopy was so much more improved for visibility and everything. And, and they called it the the Galand hood. I guess it was a uh, you know well known among the pilots as the Galand hood. I'm like, man, I'd never heard that before. That's pretty neat. And I didn't even know that there was a significant difference in the canopy between you know any of the models. So it's just these little I find little things like that really kind of interesting as I'm reading along, and it's all entirely inspired because of this gameplay really i would probably would have not ever picked that book if it wasn't because of this interest so funny thing about uh galand is that my grandfather actually met him uh he used to work for eastern airlines as an as a engineer he was actually he was an onboard engineer for the b-29s in korea and he actually got to meet uh alf galand because he was doing like a press tour i guess he was writing his book and um he got to meet him he's like that guy was just what I remember him telling me, because I was, I was really young when he passed away, but he told me, he's like, that guy was just, you you just felt comfortable around him. And you read German Ace's speak, and you're like, man, I would have followed this guy anywhere. And, I mean, that that book is really cool. He's kind of getting the, get the heads of the German Aces, and uh, especially the, the little bit about the night fighters. That was really cool, like, just hearing about, like, the, the 110 and how it performed as a night fighter. I think that's the bit that I'm on to now, because if I'm not mistaken... I have uh, literally, I've only read like the first page or two from the, the ace that this section is about that I'm reading now. And, and uh, I think it's leading into how he was like the father of the night fighters or something like that. I, I just can't recall who it was now. He, he did make it, he started out making a comment about how I guess the 110 was uh, Goering's sort of pet project. Like he loved that plane and, and touted it to be like an air superiority, air superiority fighter. And all the other pilots were like, Who's this clown? What is he talking about? <laughs> it's a piece of junk. What's yeah. this? What's what this does fat, he know? What does this fat guy who wears women's makeup and thinks he's Caesar kind of like? Eh, this guy's a little weird. He but, did say it was awesome in ground attack role, and and they, of course later in the war shooting down bombers that it was great for that. But to tout, tout it as a fighter was a joke. And it's funny anytime I play a game where I've got some of those, man, I sure suffer that. You know one point of agility man anytime you're trying to defend yourself it's like good luck I, yeah well that and that's why i love it as the high cover freaking you know party wrecker so that it shows up makes uh, makes a quick pass and then it usually gets shot down after yeah. that because it just can't die yeah, fly in it's shoot funny. like crazy and then get the hell out of there if you can yeah, that's exactly <laughs> i i was fighting against uh because i also have american planes uh brad i also have a p-47s and p-38s and i did fight against a p-38 and man, this is before I think the heavy hitter, not the heavy hitter, but the heavy fighter rules started coming out. But man, that plane, oh, I think it wrecked me constantly. And you well, look see, at that thing. We haven't played it as an agile multi-engine. We've only played it as a heavy fighter. And it was, I'll say it was interesting as a heavy fighter. I didn't, I didn't feel it was super advantaged at that point. Um, but I think if, if we'd gone back and played it as a multi-engine agile, then we, we would have seen a very different is aircraft. Is J model? Does that have was. tight turn? Uh, I, can't, I don't have the card in front yeah, of me. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm not really familiar with the traits on a lot of the uh, planes outside of the ones that I have, you know? Right, yeah. It was it was before the heavy fighter. I haven't played as, I haven't played as a heavy fighter yet, but I, I do want to. Um, seven one seven one I want to add into my you know YouTube kind of stuff is showcase that uh, obviously um and uh, we did i think one guy like i said one guy played it at the the tournament um i'm not sure how he did i didn't i forgot to ask him i was just telling doug i thought it'd be fun 
for some occasional episodes to just kind of spotlight a particular uh, aircraft and maybe go through the different variants and discuss, you know, how they play and maybe some of the noteworthy hobby stuff, but then gameplay stuff and how they interact with different traits and stuff. That might be interesting because we're kind of talking about that now. And there's a lot of stuff I don't know about, you know, aircraft outside of the few I have in my collection right now. So it'd be interesting. I, I told Brett that would work really well, except I'd have to actually play all those aircraft. Yeah, we'd, we'd <laughs> have to, there'd have to be for? some subject matter experts out there on some of these planes we don't know yet. Yeah, some of them that I haven't played. Oh. Yeah, because the P-38 is great dive and heavy hitter. So uh, you know, obviously heavy hitter is just such a, an amazing card uh, if you're if you're playing it right. Um, and then you play a heavy fighter multi-engine, you know, with great dive uh, as well. And so that would that would be nice, 228. Uh, for its uh, for its abilities, so, so it's, it's no slouch. It's, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I haven't played it as a heavy fighter yet, but you know I, I do want to. Um, I I I did play the P forty seven, and I kind of wish it had heavy hitter, only because it has eight fifty caliber machine guns. You think it would hit fairly heavy with that, but I you can't have everything. If it had robust and heavy hitter, I think it'd be just stupid. What's it have? What, yeah. Does it have buzzsaw or something? What does it have? No, it's robust, great dive. Okay. But it's a three one eight. Oh, okay, you get three for the firepower. That makes sense. Yeah, it, I mean it, it. It puts out a lot of firepower, but if you're trying to maneuver, good luck. That's all I'm gonna say. I, I took it against some zeros, and I thought oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna kill these. No, no, the, the zeros bounced me very fast. Yeah, speaking of Pacific Theater, Doug, do you have Corsairs? Have you messed with those? Yeah, I have, uh, although I've also played them against MiG-15s, which was kind of funny. Uh, actually, it was, it was really fun, uh, believe it or not. But yeah, I've, I've played Corsairs a couple times. I, I like them. Uh, I, I am not, not one to say they're broken. Uh, but, they're good. But when played well, they, they are a really good airplane. They're, I mean, they're ro- great dive and robust. Yeah, so. I, I have them as well. I play them, um, and they're pretty... I, I found like taking like I think a eight uh, a pellet skill five, uh, I think two or three threes and a two, like it was a pretty solid list. Like it put out a lot of firepower and they're very very good. Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. The the toughest part of them is they are a supersonic prop plane, because when you play great dive on on a Corsair or any one of those high speed aircraft and he's now moving you know, 18 across the board in his dive. Uh, other people can't follow him, which is good, which is what you want. Um, but holy crap, does it make, especially if you're playing on like a three by three board, um, it makes that board awful small, awful fast. Oh yeah, yeah that's I cool. Played, I haven't played the two C2s yet or any jets for that matter. So I'm still kind of, I'm really uh, interested to see how the, how that prop plane yeah, translates. There, there's an interesting prop to jet transition area. Um, Cause it came up when I was playing the MIGs versus the uh the f4s and when you you know use a great dive card and now you you basically are doubling that nine inch move for an 18 inch move um it's a it's fascinating that you have a prop plane in a sense outrunning a jet who isn't diving you know because maybe he's he doesn't want to lose enough advantage and not be able to shoot you anymore so you all of a sudden are are breaking off and getting away which wasn't necessarily how we had written the scenario um basically trying to force people to take the Corsairs to low altitude, use low altitude haze, use some of those other cards to, uh, to survive. Um, but you just could easily run away from a, from a regular jet. So yeah, it's, it's one of those things about the scaling of the game. It's still, they're still fun to play. I like them. 
Uh, I haven't played them as much. I keep getting pigeonholed into flying Spitfires and Hurricanes. Um, but Brad, I guess we'll have to do some, uh, some Pacific work. That's cool. You know, I, I just uh, posted something about the KI-53. It was kind of, you know, interesting to me. I don't know a lot about Pacific theater aircraft and, um, a lot of those things I find interesting. And then I recently got the, uh, Japanese expansion cards, the, the expansion pack cards, and I have to dig through there, see if there's KI-53s in there, but I guess that's a pretty, pretty good aircraft for their, I would guess the stats are probably decent. If you want to get what well, I liked, um, I read uh, Pappy Boyington's memoirs, uh, Baba Black Sheep, and he had a lot of respect for uh, for some of those aircraft. And it's kind of cool to kind to see him progress from the P forty to the Corsair and how they dealt with the Japanese and dealt with their aircraft and their tactics. Like he went into it thinking that they were just not good, and he was like. I was sorely mistaken in how they had to adjust their tactics as far as how how to make the P forty work. Same thing with like uh, with uh, with Thatch did with the with the Wildcats at Midway when he had to figure out the Thatch weave to deal with the Zero in this you know in the Wildcats. So that's kind of cool too if you if you get a chance to check that out. Have you tried using a uh, Thatch weave as a as a Wildcat player? <laughs> to see if I, it works. I don't have wildcats, but I would be interested to try. Yeah, so it's one of those things that uh, I I encourage people to go out there and figure out where the real world crossovers are because there's obviously some things that just you, you you can't do and you can't do a pure thatch weave, I guess I should say, in Blood Red Skies. But some of the principles still apply. You can you can make it difficult that even if you get bounced, your enemy has to decide. Well, which guy am I going to pick? Because when I pick the other guy, the other one's going to turn on me and and be able to put me in an arc. And a lot of that also depends on aircraft traits, you know. So would that be kind of like uh, your, that, your your analogy would 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 analogy an analogy be like that bracketing thing you demonstrated at uh, Gathering Eagles? Yeah, so it's so it's similar to that in a lot of ways, um, but it's actually with more nose to tail separation. So rather than doing a pure bracket, you're you're starting off the game wherever you deploy. Sure, you're, you're still within your your mandated ranges by the setup, but you create some nose to tail separation so that automatically somebody is covering the other aircraft. Um, a little tougher in a Wildcat because you don't have things like tight turn um, that allow you to make these suddenly nearly 90-degree turns and, and do things like that. So sometimes um, the, the aircraft that could do it doesn't really have the traits to do it in the game, um, but but it's still it's a, yeah. it's a viable tactic. It, it, I mean, it, could you imagine that Wildcat having robust and tight turn? That thing would be stupid oh, yeah. good. Yeah, exactly. Especially well, and that's that kind of the tough thing is, yeah. Well, and that's what I was about to say. It's there's this this problem of you could make the airplanes a little more modeled, maybe the way that the way they are. But the fact is, you have to generalize them so that there's a way to progress, and that all of a sudden you you have aircraft that can actually be better than the others because you didn't load the early ones down with all the cool traits. But I remember things. Andy saying he really uh, thought the 190 was well statted. You know, it was pretty powerful in the game. I haven't yet played them. Uh, We'll probably get to a place in our campaign, Steve and I, here in the next uh, you know few months, where I'll be getting into those. It's going to be. I'm excited to see the difference. Have you played? You said you've played those, the, Trevor. Yeah, I played both the A and the Ds. Uh, the Dora I actually liked more than the A, but that's probably because I flew the A really terribly. But that rapid roll and uh, robust was actually really nice, and, and it puts out a lot of firepower. I think it's at three. To eight, I want to say because it's it's pretty maneuverable. Um, it puts out a lot of firepower. It is expensive, so you're not going to. So you kind of have to watch the watch the points. 
Um, whereas the Dora, I think, is robust and great dive, I believe. But it's actually like two points less than the, the A. Right. Yeah. Um, I do want to get another shot at it. But I, was, I flew it. I'm like, I did that wrong. I want to try that again. I'm so used to having three points of agility. I, I'm kind of nervous about losing a point of agility on the G model and stuff like that. But rapid roll wouldn't suck on a, on a um, 190. Oh, it's, well, the it's, nice thing is you fun. pick the right tactics to go with it for defensive tactics or aggressive tactics, and obviously those that play well with tight turn and rapid roll. Um, all of a sudden, you're cheating like a spitfire. Nice. <laughs> I wouldn't know what to do with myself. <laughs> and yeah, you're putting exactly. out three dice. Yeah. You know, it's it's one of those things that with the, the heavy firepower guys, when they become both maneuverable and heavy firepower, you're like, okay, I quit. You got me. You're just going to boom chip me out. But uh, But it's pretty neat to see how well they play. Well, I think we pretty much beat just about every end of the topics and discussions that we can cover. Uh, Trevor, anything you want to talk about? Uh, you want to pitch your channel? Let us know where to find you on social media and on YouTube. Yeah, um, on YouTube, it's Aces High Wargaming. I stole that from Iron Maiden. I have no qualms about that because I love Iron Maiden. Um, I only have two videos up. I'm in the middle of moving my house into a, I'm selling my house, moving to rentals. So I, I do want to get back up, uh, do some unboxing eventually do some paint tutorials um you know for the guys that want to paint and not the guys who are going to bash people for not having painted um painted planes because if you're one of those people um i, I you can go fuck yourself because... you can go fuck yourself yeah exactly we, we see eye to eye you can go fuck yourself yeah like i i have no qualms about that like we all have lives i get that you know i sometimes have a have time to paint sometimes i don't it's just uh this guy tried to call me out and, you know, call me a snowflake, which, you know, I live in Florida. Sorry, dude. <laughs> There's no snow in Florida. Um, so uh, he can go fuck himself. We're well, you're just such things. a sensitive Marine. I mean, we know the Marine Corps breeds sensitive people. I, I easily am. offended. I, I am. Sorry. Oh, my God. Uh, so, yeah. Um, I do commission painting. If you got I've only done it in the States. I've, I mean, I've done everything from Doug's planes. I've done single models. I've done an entire Tarawa landing force for bolt action. I will never do that again. Um, that's enough. That was too much. But uh, I don't charge really anything. I probably undercost everything I do because I just enjoy painting. Yes, planes. yes, you do. <laughs> you're quite reasonable, my friend. Um, and if you're ever in Florida, if you're ever in the Treasure Coast, Da Vinci's DreamWorks 2 is the store that we operate out of. I mean, we always have players in. Um, so definitely come check us out if you get a chance. Steven is awesome. We're trying to set up more tournaments. And I mean, hopefully this, uh, what we're doing with these tournaments kind of builds the, I hate to use the word meta, but build the tour, builds a competitive scene for those who want to compete. I like playing scenarios. I've done some tournaments, so you know, let's 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 roll some dice and have some fun. Um, I'm on you know Instagram. It's tsmigs87. I don't really post. I post all my painting projects, some pictures of my dog, books I'm reading, nothing spectacular. Um, and that's really about it, man. I I just you know I love this game. It's having a lot of fun with me. I like painting airplanes. I can't wait for big red skies because then I can really paint some you know big planes and have some fun with different weathering techniques and sponge techniques and stupid nerdy painting techniques. Nerds. I know. I, I see the posts on Instagram from AK Interactive and they'll have like a 172 Spitfire or something. I'm like, I could do that. 
I could do that. <laughs> I want to yeah, exactly. get on it. I, Flex I, those I, hobby I muscles. Right. Right. Exactly. I mean, I just, I like doing it. I don't, I don't know why I, I don't want to do this to myself, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's fun. I enjoy it. Brett, any last minute stuff? No, man. Sorry. I was a little late, but uh, it was fun to just get on and kind of shoot the breeze a little bit. It was kind of funny how it just all kind of, you know, no agenda, just talking about planes. It's what we do, right? Exactly. We're used to it. Rangers never make L hour anyway, so whatever. <laughs> That's fine. We forgot to send you the PowerPoint slides. Oh, I'll, I'll be yeah. there, you know, 30 minutes early. Doug will show up on time. Yeah. Because <laughs> once again, if if it's the officer, I'm always on time. I'm never late. <laughs> you guys are just early. <laughs> Thanks, Lance Corporal. <laughs> Is is my gear ready yet? Someone bring the laser. Oh, these are my men over here. <laughs> Are these my Marines? <laughs> oh, shit. It was good to talk to you guys. I, I really appreciate you uh, taking time on the podcast, and we will hopefully get back together soon and hopefully actually be playing games here shortly soon, although I guess I'm not making it to Crucible. But that's all right. We'll figure it out. Uh, we'll figure out what we're going to do this fall. Well, if you ever want to come down and you know, let me know. If, I mean, I, Brett's like three hours from me, and I know it's a little bit of drive for you, but you said your wife from Florida, so... You know, maybe one of these days we can get you guys down there. Would be awesome. Exactly. That would be awesome. Yeah, come to my house, pick me up, and then we'll go to Trevor's house from my place. <laughs> yeah, I like that plan. <laughs> uh, bring the Lysol so I can spray the entire state as I drive through it. 